This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Hello and welcome to Business Breakdowns. I'm your host, Jesse Puji. Today, we will be diving into Twilio. Twilio was founded just over a decade ago by Jeff Lawson with the vision of enabling developers to access the world's communication infrastructure through APIs. Twilio has over 200,000 customers and powered nearly 1 trillion interactions last year through SMS, voice, video, email, and more. In this business breakdown, we'll cover Twilio's unique approach to distribution, how lower gross margins versus peers can actually be a moat, and why Twilio's revenue model aligns incentives with its customers. We close with the bull and bear case for Twilio over the next five years and what investors and operators can take away from studying Twilio more closely. To help me break down Twilio, I'm joined by Ro Nagpal, a senior investment professional at Holocene Advisors. I've known Ro a long time and was really excited to talk to him about Twilio. Please enjoy this business breakdown. All right, Ro, welcome to Business Breakdowns. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. All right, let's jump right into it. The business we're breaking down today is Twilio. You spent a ton of time learning and knowing a lot about this business. Let's start with a simple question. What is Twilio? Twilio is software that enables companies to communicate with their customers through SMS, through voice, through video, or chat. Some examples of your everyday life, if you get a text that your ride is here from Lyft, that's Twilio. If you get a text from United that your flight is late, that's Twilio. Text reminding you about your doctor's appointment, that's Twilio. Got it. It enables all these companies to essentially send text messages to their customers. Help us understand, how did this work prior to Twilio? So it didn't. Prior to Twilio, if you wanted to do this, you would need to go out and hire 10 engineers with a decade of telecom experience that were all super expensive. And you'd need to have them sit in your building and spend 12 months making all the connections to Verizon and AT&T to enable you to do this. And what Twilio did is they took that really complicated old problem that had a lot of people and turned it into a few lines of code. And so a developer can go download Twilio software, implement the code, and be up and running, which is the power of what they've created. Wow. What's the scale of it today? The business today has about 200,000 customers. In 21, they'll do more than 2.4 billion of revenue. It's growing close to 50%. There are 10 million developers that use it. And I think over the last year, they've powered over a trillion interactions. So that's a text message, a call, a video, or email. There's probably 30 million developers in the world. So it kind of means one out of three developers is using Twilio. Oh my gosh. The trillion interactions, are those just high level, mostly SMS or are they? how do they break out roughly? I think the vast majority would be SMS, but there's a fair amount of calling and video and email messages in there. So for example, if you push the call my driver button on Lyft, that's Twilio too. You mentioned it used to be that you had to go get a bunch of engineers. You built all these integrations yourself. 
that probably costs millions of dollars to do. Yeah, look, 10 engineers, engineers are really expensive. So say they're 250,000 a year, so that's two and a half million dollars just to get the functionality. That doesn't even mean that it works and you created a good experience. The power of this is the startup or the low budget team can actually put communication into their customer experience for nothing, you know, for five bucks on a credit card. Yeah. Talk more about that. How does it work today? I used to have to go hire all these engineers, do all this work. It may or may not work. And now what can I do with Twilio? If you're a developer, you literally go to the website, plug in your credit card and implement the code. And you will have this functionality in your application or your website. And every text message costs less than a penny to send. And so the power of this is really hey, Jesse's trying to build a new e-commerce app that helps deliver groceries. And so you don't have a big budget to hire 10 engineers, but you want to get going. And so for a very small amount, you can prove out the concept. And I think that's what's so powerful about this. So you can go to your boss or your investors and say, look, like here's the demo. And it, it only costed 10 bucks to get up and running. And so it allows you to test and try things and then the power of it is if your grocery delivery app gets up and running successfully, you scale your Twilio spend as your business succeeds. So they've made something that took maybe a year or two and millions of dollars, something that you can just throw a credit card in and you're good to go. Where did the insight come from? Talk a little bit about that early days insight of Twilio. Yeah, I think Jeff realized, uh, you know, he's obviously brilliant. And he's had amazing foresight in how the world is going to evolve. When he was younger, he was a product manager at AWS. And I think he saw the birth of AWS and the idea that you could take really complicated infrastructure and turn it into code. You know, I like to think about this idea of, of turning complexity into code. I am probably plagiarizing that from Jeff. But you take a really complicated service and you turn it into a few lines of, of code. And then you have created this unbounded opportunity to drive usage of that. And so Twilio really grows as their customers succeed. And I think what Jeff realized, you know, he shares this example a lot. Think about a bank. So before you would walk into a bank, they would give your kid a lollipop and your dog a treat. And you'd say, oh, this is really nice. I like banking here. And now like I haven't walked into a bank in the last five years, right? The only thing I care about is how good is that digital experience? The other day, actually, I got an email to wire some money to a fraudulent account. And Schwab sent me a text message like, hey, this looks a little funny. We're not going to send it, okay? You know, hit one to talk to someone on the phone, hit two to, to cancel it, right? And so then like I hit one, I have this interaction back and forth that's being powered by a communication platform. And so if you think about what happened from that old world where you walk in into a retail branch, the guy knows you, to the new world, which is in an app, it's all digital experience that is powered by the developer. And so I think Jeff, a long time ago, realized that, hey, like the person that holds the keys of the kingdom for this digital experience is the developer. And so let me make his life easier. Let me solve a problem that they all will have in this digital experience. There's a lot there I want to break down. Let's start with the digital experience. So if I'm a bank today... And my interaction points are text message or even the app experience. Twilio started with SMS. What other parts of the digital experience is it touching? There's voice. So if you call in, there is a call center product. So actually, if you call in and you're going to talk to a rep from the bank, 
that bank might be staring at a Twilio scene as they pull up. They say, oh, Jesse, he, you know, he's from this zip code. Oh, here's his assets. Oh, here's the last time we talked to him. So that whole system. And oh, Jesse is a really special client. So let's route him to an agent that is a really nice, friendly agent. So that logic sits in a product called Twilio Flex. They have a high scale, high reliability email solution called SendGrid. So if your bank wants to communicate with you over email, they recently acquired a company called Segment that adds a layer of intelligence onto the message. So, hey, Jesse's a super important client. Let's make sure that we send him a super friendly text message, or maybe there's like a juicy offer in there. So basically the portfolio is growing to handle every element of your digital experience, whether it's a text, a voice, calling in, an email, or targeted marketing. It sounds like 10 plus years ago when Jeff came up with the idea, you mentioned he was at AWS. He looked to the future and he said, experience is all going to go digital and someone's going to have to power each component of that. Earlier, you mentioned the business model or just the cost differential. Let's go a little deeper into that. So it used to be I had to spend millions of dollars. Now, what do I actually spend? Help us understand the unit economics of the business. The most common unit is a text message and that costs 0.7 cents. And Twilio has to route that message across AT&T or Verizon. And so that's the basic unit of the business. And the business has 55% gross margins. The other products like email, that call center product Flex, they all have higher gross margins than that core text message. And so as a customer, I used to have to spend millions and then I, yeah, I'd still have to pay something out to all these telecom providers as I sent text messages. Now, today, I just pay Twilio every time I send a text message. Yeah, the power is that all of these use cases that could never get off the ground, could you could never convince your boss to hire 10 telecom guys to maybe try this thing that might work, now you can try for five bucks. And so the, the power is whatever you thought the market size was, it's probably wrong because all of these use cases are enabled. And so Twilio will only scale as their customers are successful. This is a really powerful idea, this idea of usage-based software, because if you think about the way most software has been sold over the last 20 years, it's, hey, I'm selling you a piece of productivity software. There are 100 people at your company. I can only sell you 100 seats, right? But like, if I'm selling you a text message to help you better engage with your customer, how many units is that? It's kind of infinite, right? Maybe you're FedEx and you send me a text that you're going to deliver on Wednesday, and I reply and say, look, I'm not in town. Come back on Thursday. And then we go back and forth and schedule. Uh, today, I got a text message from American Express because you know we had a $38 charge from Target and they thought that looked odd. And there were four text messages that went back and forth. So when you think about like how many units there are in this model, it's, it's unbounded by how many use cases you can find. You mentioned this really interesting thing, which is it used to be whether I was a startup and I wanted to prove out a business model, or if you're at a big company and you wanted to prove something to your boss, both of those things you would never do because it would be so expensive to start. Today with Twilio, you can do those things. So I want to go into a couple of customer stories. You can start with maybe one really obvious one. And, and then I want to talk about a, two or three very non-obvious ones that you wouldn't expect them, but because that this became so easy to use, they became customers of Twilio. So Smile Direct Club. They help you align your teeth. They mail you these kits. Customers were having trouble finding certain locations. And so what they did is they started sending customers text message reminders. They added a picture of the storefront. Okay. And that drove 25% better attendance of appointments, right? Which is the, the ROI is through the moon. Yeah. You can imagine if you're an expensive dentist, 
having the patient show up versus not show up, huge ROI, especially if you're just paying a penny for a text message. There's a company that makes replacement wiper blades, right? And they sell them through Costco. And so what happens is Jesse walks into a Costco, he goes up to the shelves, he looks at something that probably looks like a yellow pages, it's got 500 pages in it. There are tens of thousands of vehicles over the years, he tries to find his vehicle, he tries to find the right wiper blade, he buys it, he leaves the store, he goes to the parking lot, he jams it in and it's probably the wrong blade. He breaks the blade, he's pissed, he goes back, he returns it, and then they gotta go through the return process. So this company said, hey, just text us your make and model. We will text you back what wiper you need and a video of how to install it. So think about the ROI on that. Like you get the right blade, you know how to install it, you don't have to return it, the company's happy, Costco's happy, the, the customer's happy. And then two years later, what they'll do is they'll text you back and say, hey, we think that your wiper is probably off. Like, can we mail you one, right? So think about the return on that one penny text message and how it's not just one message, it's sort of a series of messages. And then, you know, if you want to dream in the future, you could say, well, sure, like we charged you a penny for that first text message, but that last one where you remind him to buy another blade, if half of them buy other blades, it's probably worth a lot more than it. I think another great example is that there's an insurance company and let's say you get into an auto accident, you text them a picture of your car. Okay, so the system then grabs the pictures of the car, it files them, they text you back all of the auto body shops that are in a network, like around you, and then you have an address and you know where you're going. And then it's amazing because no one wants to get on the phone with, with customer service reps anymore. What they'll do is they'll watch to see if you're in the market for a house. Within six months or two years, if you're in the market for a house and they text you back saying, hey, like, are you interested in homeowner's insurance? Because you had such a clean experience with your auto insurance, their conversion on that is like 70%. And so those are all examples where they start out really simple, but they end in really high ticket interactions. And so like, you know, imagine if you're the person that builds that system for 10 bucks, like you look really smart to your boss. Some of the things you said, if you end up getting Smile Direct Club, that's a several thousand dollar purchase. And you probably would have just not gone if you couldn't find the place. The wipers, like you said, you would have just returned them and been frustrated. In this case, you become a loyal customer. And the amount of use cases, it almost feels infinite in many ways. What were the original use cases and how did it evolve? So one of the early large customers was Uber. And Uber was just trying to tell you that your car was out front and they didn't want the driver waiting. Some of the use cases at the beginning were just hey, there's a flight of 400 people and we just want you to know that the flight is delayed before you head on the way to the airport and maybe you're not checking your email in real time. And so you're just happier if you don't come to the airport three hours earlier, right? So there were these really simple things like, and part of that is, I think we all read all of our text messages. Your email inbox is flooded with thousands of things that you can't possibly sort through. Going from something very straightforward, like your car is waiting for you or your flight information, those seem very obvious linearly. Now, doing an entire insurance claim or sending a storefront doesn't seem linear at all. And I think what happened there, you the focus on the developer and allowing a developer to just be as creative as he or she wanted to be around the use case is really what unlocked this blossoming, if you will, of all these different things. Can you talk about that insight around the developer that Jeff and the Twilio team, they're some of the pioneers on what it was, why it mattered and what it's led to. Yeah. So I think no one talks about this. Everyone says, oh, it's sending a text message and it's a low gross margin. Like there's no mode around this business. Anyone can do it. But 
in reality, because Jeff is a developer and he understands the moat he has built in empowering developers, this is an incredible barrier to entry for Twilio. Developers love Twilio in a cultish kind of way. And if you read Jeff's book, the insight he had was people who run business units or business lines have unrealistic expectations or inefficient routes to kind of get to like the digital strategy that they want. And the person actually executing it is the developer. And they're actually really creative people. And so what you should do is you should make it cheap and easy and empower the developer to create that experience for the customer. And if you can do that, you can create these digital experiences much cheaper, faster. And because the world is heading that way, the demand in units will all just follow. Right. So I think he very early on noticed that there was this like IT and the business unit were in two separate silos and that anyone that was going to actually build amazing front end consumer experiences, they were going to have them mesh. They ended up selling into developers, which is very different. Today, it seems normal, but when it came out, it was completely abnormal. Yeah. So I call this distribution light. So before some guy from IBM would come to your CIO in a nice suit and they would go to a nice dinner and they would sort of talk about a telecom software deal, right? And now you go to the Twilio website and you try it out with a credit card. And so what Jeff did was he sort of evangelized with developers. Here's a free trial, go try and solve a problem. And then it spread really quick because the developer community, like they talk a lot, like they like best of breed and they kind of like no BS solutions. And so I think just by building an amazing solution that was incredibly reliable, that made the developer look smart, it sort of spread on its own, right? And so the, the evidence of that in the business is that they have this absurd same store sales growth. Every year, the business kind of grows 30 to 40% just from last year's customers. You don't see that in businesses anywhere ever. Yeah. And that's these developers who are constantly using this easy to use software to come up with new use cases, come up, oh, and now let's take a picture of the store. Now let's go from a, a follow-up to say thank you to a full insurance claim processed over text message. It's kind of part of this broader theme of APIification of software and how important that is as a trend. Can you talk about that trend and then how Twilio is essentially one of the pioneers of it? Yeah. What we've seen in software over the years is you've taken the building blocks to required to build a piece of software let's say an, a mobile application, and you've turned them into the, these like core units. And those are delivered through APIs. So for example, if you want to do payments, there's Stripe to do your payments, and that's delivered to you through an API. If you want to do communications, Twilio gives you that API to do. And so what this enables is you can focus on your core competency. Jesse wants to build a e-commerce grocery delivery app, he doesn't need to go figure out how to do payments. He can just grab the code from Stripe. He doesn't need to figure out how to go text people. He can grab the code from Twilio. And so instead of that big upfront cost, it allows you to really specialize. And the power of that is like, you get to use your resources more efficiently. So you get to focus on creating the best grocery delivery experience for your customers, not spending like time and dollars and personnel on doing payments or doing communication. And so the people that will thrive will be the ones that create the best experience. And the ones that create the best experience will focus on their differentiation, not on doing things that can be 
outsourced to an API. And you know, the other way to think about it is if you go back to that banking example, there's a bank that tries to do every piece by themselves, right? And that bank's experience, it just kind of stinks. And there's a bank that says, look, I'm really just going to focus on my customer experience and the parts that I can outsource to an API, I'm going to do that because that's how I differentiate myself today. Obviously, like everything that compounds is you have a better experience, you take more market share, you can keep going. And so I think it's like, it's a really powerful idea looking at businesses that are breaking down to focus on like, hey, what's differentiated for us and what's not? There's another angle to this, which is, hey, if you just buy the software off the shelf to make a digital bank, it's going to look like everyone else's and you will have no advantage. You need to empower your developers to create that unique experience in a digital first world to be differentiated and win. Not only does it make it easier, but then therefore it raises the bar for everyone to improve experience because they have this access. Now, what you're saying is that because it's so easy to do these critical components through Twilio, we can expect, and it's going to get more competitive and even a better and better customer experience over time. Absolutely. And then just think about like, what does that mean about Twilio's TAM? It means that the TAM is kind of like the cost of goods sold of every business on the planet everywhere, right? That wants to have a digital front end. Yeah. Talk more about how big the TAM can be and why it's different than everybody thinks it is. All of our mental models in tech investing, or at least over the last decade, have been like people times seats. And so there is inherently a limit on how many units, how many seats there are and how much you can spend per person. But as the world is moving towards this digital front end, the units are infinite in all the examples we've talked about. So for example, Nike stopped selling a lot of their retail stores over the pandemic, and they gave all the frontline workers an app so they could communicate with people and give you a custom selling experience. That was never part of Nike's cost of goods sold before. And so you have to kind of think about how many high value text messages could Jesse get per day? Right now, they just cost a penny. What if Jesse left a sweater in his cart? And I know that Jesse lives in a fancy zip code. And if we send a thousand Jesse's, a thousand text messages to, to come back to that shopping cart, we know 50% of them convert. What is that worth? And if I take that dollar away from TV advertising and just put it towards a text message, the unit math, like it might go from being a penny text message to being a $10 text message. And so the TAM is multiples of how we would have looked at this opportunity before in that seats times price framework. Not only do you have this text ping or any API pull way larger than a seat, of course, and then that enables new experiences that people would never have thought of and never were thought of in the TAM to exist. And the third thing I heard you say was, which is crazy, is that you can assign value to these interactions, especially in the case of Twilio. If you flip this back to Twilio for one second, what does it mean for their opportunity? You mentioned obviously earlier that they grow, their same store growth is insane. Why does that make Twilio special? 10 years from now, they're probably going to have a much more durable growth rate than a business that sold seats because the usage keeps going. And so the underlying unit of the business, for one, is just has a longer runway than other businesses. Okay. Second thing, there is this opportunity to make every interaction higher value. So for example, like we're talking about this e-commerce cart conversion opportunity. So Jeff, who's just makes the smartest chess moves on the planet, recently acquired this company called Segment. So Segment is a customer data platform. So you can think about it as adding a layer of intelligence 
to every single message. It's building your next generation customer platform. So it's saying like, hey, Jesse was on the Nike website. He hovered on these Air Jordans that were 200 bucks for 30 seconds. And then he hovered on these that are 300 bucks for like two minutes. So let's make sure that we, when we text him, that we target the nicer pair. That he spent more time on. That he spent more time on. The value of that little intelligence spread across millions of interactions. It's just a little insight, but it's the idea of taking data and applying it to your interaction to generate a higher probability, a higher value outcome. And so I think the opportunity for Twilio is like, one, get, get the vast amount of usage, and then two, add intelligence to it so that you capture the highest value of that interaction. And then three is like, manage the entire lifespan. So when after Jesse buys the shoes in a year, have that record of him and know that it rains a lot where he lives. He might need another pair. It's beautiful. It's like perpetual volume because there's constantly a new use case and constantly more usage. Your own customers want to use you more combined with, in some sense, pricing power, both because it's cheap already, but then also because you can assign value to what is there. Let's talk about the gross margin concept. You mentioned earlier, 55% gross margins kind of low for a software business. Talk about why you actually think that's been a unique competitive advantage for them and how that's going to play out in the future. It's very easy to say, hey, most software businesses have 80, 85% gross margins. This is a bad business. It's got 55% gross margins, right? And so just the underlying logic of that is they've got to take your text message and they've got to go put it on AT&T or Verizon's network and pay those telecom providers. What's interesting about that is if you sort of flip it on its head, do you think a software company that has 80 to 85% gross margins wants to come down and do a business with 55% gross margins? Probably not, right? And if you then look at like every move that Jeff has made, so sending you emails, the segment acquisition, uh, building out the contact center product called Flex that we were talking about earlier, all of those businesses move the gross margins up because they're moving you towards a higher value interaction. Most recently, he bought a stake in one of the companies that sort of aggregates messages, which like at first glance, you kind of scratch your head and say, like, what is he doing there? And what it'll do is it'll eventually lower his cost of sending messages, right? As the business continues to scale, you're going to see that gross margin improve. And so I think it's this amazing moat that he's growing units this fast and moving up the value chain of interactions. It's one of these totally counterintuitive business things you'd never expect where it's almost like he locked the spinal cord down, even though it was a little expensive or maybe not as pretty on a spreadsheet. And as you said, no one's going to go after it and go deeper into it. I want to go to talk about M&A in one second. But before we do that, are there competitors? Were there ever competitors? Talk a little bit about that. Because you mentioned he got into this business, which is a quote unquote low margin business, but seemed to be the only game in town. I don't know. Talk about the competitive situation a little bit. Sure. So there are competitors. Vonage owns a business called uh, Nextnode that, that offers you some service. Amazon offers similar services, but Amazon's call center product called Connect actually runs on Twilio. So I, I don't really know where it starts and stops, but Amazon does offer you similar services. Microsoft is trying to, to build it out. And so large scale players absolutely can do this. So how are they able to win competitively? Twilio wins competitively by having the easiest product to get up and running and prove value. And that's what you hear over and over from developers is, boy, it's just so easy to get started. The documentation when I have a problem online is fantastic so I can solve it and it just works. Back to the beginning of Jeff being a developer himself and then he essentially 
made it easier, made it better. And now if someone starts to use it, they go, well, if it's the same product, I might as well just use the one I like using and that I know how to use. You know, you got people to show up to your appointments for less than a penny a text message. And now I'm vendor B and I come over and I say, hey, I can take your thing that costs less than a penny and I can reduce the cost by 20%. And you're like, I don't know, is that worth my time? It's a $400 an hour appointment and it costs less than a penny. Do I need to go down 10%? Like, is that the best use of my time. And so actually, and the proof is in the pudding, they have less than 5% dollar churn. You've mentioned a couple of different M&A things. Let's actually double, triple click into that. What have been the big acquisitions Twilio's done to date and why are they smart chess moves? Yeah, I'll start really high level, which is, I think it's really unique to see a high growth business that can build new products organically and do big M&A successfully. I can't think of a lot of examples, like Microsoft is one. Let's go through some of Jeff's recent moves. So in 2018, they acquired a company called SendGrid. So SendGrid does mass email, like billions of emails, and with really high delivery rates. You might say, hey, what's special about that? But when you're doing billions of emails, like making sure that 99.999 get delivered is actually a really hard problem. And they've accelerated the growth rate of that business. And again, it's a usage model. Right? So it's driven by how many emails you send. I'll come back to this, but uh, the founders of SendGrid took all stock. Then more recently, Twilio acquired Segment, which was bringing that data and intelligence to every single message to try and drive a higher value interaction. So again, a usage model priced by sort of interactions and the founders took stock, just like SendGrid. And then very recently, Twilio invested $750 million in Cineverse. What Cineverse does, they send 600 billion messages a month. And what they do is like when Rose sends a message to Jesse and Rose on Verizon and Jesse's on AT&T, they help like connect it across the networks. It's an aggregator, pulls everything up and then like swaps it across the networks. The business has kind of been hovering around 800 million of revenue for several years. At first you look at that and you kind of scratch your head and you say like, why are they doing this? And what you realize is that, boy, if Tulio is one of the largest text message providers in the world, Owning a piece of one of the largest aggregates is probably very valuable. You probably get very good volume rates, right? So again, like a really smart move that improves your unit economics. And, and at first, in all of these, you kind of scratch your head as to why Twilio is doing them. And then as you dig, you say, boy, that's really sharp. So you mentioned that a lot of these M&A situations that the founders took stock. You also mentioned they're all usage-based models or, or mostly usage-based models. Are there any other unifying themes that you've seen in the M&A strategy? And talk a little bit about that stock thing and why you think that's so unique. All of the deals seem to be filling out part of the customer experience. So every mode of communication or anything that would make your interaction higher value, all of those deals have that quality. And I think the fact that the people who built these businesses are very talented and gifted in their own right, the fact that they're taking stock just tells you that they want to keep the bet on, right? So they must feel really confident in what the two companies can accomplish together and Twilio's runway for growth. And, you know, those are super informed people. I bet Twilio would love to get rid of whatever costs they have associated with sending text messages. For iMessage, do they still pay some kind of a backend fee or do they not pay for iMessage? Or like WhatsApp? I mean, it, there's... Two answers. So uh, one is if Nike just messages you directly over WhatsApp, there's no fee to Twilio. But if Nike aggregates all of their customer interactions into a piece of software and that software then talks to Twilio to send the messages out, then Twilio is collecting a fee on that message. Twilio offers you a, an API into WhatsApp 
to manage that interaction. As SMS becomes less of the baseline technology, that's just going to improve their margins over time. There are two honest sides to that. The first is, well, if you built an app and you didn't need to send me a text message and you could just communicate with me through an app, then you use less SMS. If you decide that you're going to communicate with your customers across several channels, SMS, voice, email, over the top, like WhatsApp communication, then you need one person manage all of those different pipes. Then Twilio is not just selling you like a SMS product, they're selling you a solution, which is again, higher value, lower churn, better long-term business. We've talked about Jeff a couple of times as well. And I'm a big believer in the most special businesses are built by the most special people. So it's a business that only they could build, only that individual could build because of their unique experiences and their unique perspective and all those things. You mentioned, obviously, he's a developer first, so that's a huge part of it. What are the other Jeff DNA things that make Twilio Twilio? So I think what I'm most impressed by is how many different mental models he has in his mind, almost like Charlie Munger. He's got a mental model for how to build innovation, right? You you think like, oh, he just magically found Flex, and that's going to be a product that takes off. It's not. It's actually like the team at Twilio made lots of little bets over five years, and that is the output. You didn't see all the bets that didn't work, right? So he's got like a, a portfolio approach to innovating, which is really intelligent versus like, you know, the opposite, someone that's like, hey, I'm going to make this massive one bet on going digital. And it's kind of a crapshoot. There's a system to innovation. So that, that's the first part. Second part is he really understood the power of software very early. He talks about this example. Think about your old TV remote. How many buttons are on your old TV remote? There's like 25 buttons. Look at the Apple remote. It has three buttons. All of those features and functions went to software. And so the idea that, hey, to create better experiences, it has to be built in software. And then when you want to update it, you can just update the software. You can't update the remote after it's in your living room. He understood that power very early. And he understood that the person holding the keys to that would be the developer. And then both the organic moves that we've talked about and the inorganic moves show you that it's someone that can play the chess both ways. There's a high degree of sophistication in what he's doing. And so I think all those things come together to form like a very unique leader and the output is this amazing company. The humility, I mean, from what little I know him, he seems like a person who also knows what he doesn't know and is able to surround himself with an amazing group of executives and talent and board that help him drive that. If you were to flip for a second and say like, what's the bear case for this business? What comes to mind for you? That's a good question. Earlier, I listed Microsoft and Amazon as competitors. You can never take those two companies lightly. They are incredibly talented at innovation with deep pockets and they both have large developer bases. So those are absolutely real players. You could take an extreme view and say, 100% of communications will go over the top to WhatsApp. And so text messages will be eliminated. I think a, a skeptic could also say, listen, like every point you just made about gross margins, that's wrong. Gross margins in telecom actually never go up. And so the gross margins are never really going to scale. Whenever growth slows down, you'll be left with like a low growth, low margin business. Makes sense. Well, Ro, this has been really an awesome session of going deep into this business and I've developed a whole nother appreciation for it. Let's end with lessons for builders and lessons for investors. So what are the top one, two, or three lessons if you're an entrepreneur listening to this? And what are the top one, two, or three if you're an investor listening to this? Starting with uh, people who are building businesses, think about how you're building your business. Why do you need to build out payments or messaging or background checks 
So use an API in every place that you can so that you can focus on your core competency and really differentiate on that. If you're building a tech company, you need to be aware that your buyer is different now. It's no longer the CIO. And this has huge ramifications. You need to price to capture value and then grow your business as you provide that value. You know, look, Twilio costs 0.7 cents per transaction. Stripe costs 3%, 30 cents. Like these are really cheap per unit products. I think a great lesson from Twilio is you need to make it very easy for your buyer to look smart to their boss. And if you can do that, you will have them for life. And then the last one I'd say like 2018, I went on this journey and I sort of met 200 software businesses and I found one commonality. The businesses that found one big hairy customer and solved that problem like relentlessly, they could figure out what parts of that problem scaled and then apply it to like a much broader customer base. And so I think that's a great way to start. Folio's example, it was solving Uber's problems. Then it was really easy to say, hey, we solved Uber's problems. We can solve yours. For investors, I think one, you need a new mental model for the next generation of softwares. It's no longer price times seats, right? It's usage-based. I think second point would be there's a qualitative moat here. Winning the most valuable resource, the developer, is a big moat. And you can't put it in a spreadsheet. And so I think there's been a long time before the market gets that. And then last, again, a qualitative point, I think amazing founders and management teams, they make new TAMs and those new TAMs don't fit in nice rows and cells. The TAM here is every company's cost of goods sold. And so you need to be a little creative about how you think where this could go. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, thank you, Ro, for coming on Business Breakdowns. This was awesome. Thanks for having me, Jesse. This was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed this breakdown of Twilio with Ro Nagpal. One thing that struck me about Twilio, and Ro did a fantastic job of describing, was how everybody underestimated the size of the addressable market. It reminded me of the early days of Uber when people thought of the market opportunity by just looking at the taxi market without realizing that if you made it 10 times easier and faster, you could massively expand. Twilio is doing this in the messaging space and leaves an important lesson for investors and operators. If a business is making something 10 times easier, faster, better, or cheaper, you may need to rethink your assumptions about the addressable market. To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S.com. 